Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Ali, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Ali, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. Now, the makings of Michael Jackson Thriller. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Silent Giants podcast, a podcast highlighting the superstars behind your favorite superstars in creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. I'm so grateful to have you all tuned in to our 35th anniversary special on the makings of Michael Jackson Thriller. Thriller was released November 30th of 1982 and would become the greatest selling album of all time. To celebrate this groundbreaking album, we interviewed the Silent Giants who played a pivotal role in the creation of the album. For this introductory episode, I'd like to introduce you to my dear friend, Jason King. Jason is the co-founder of the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music at NYU and the author of Michael Jackson Treasures. Enjoy, as Jason and I chat about the historical significance of the album that will forever transform the landscape of popular music. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the makings of Michael Jackson Thriller. Uh, Jason, talk talk a little bit for me. Testing one two three. Jason King. This is Jason King. Testing. You, you testing. sound great. Damn. Thank you. So, um, Jason, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thanks thank you. Thank me. you. Uh, so, I want to jump right into you know. Obviously, this is a very special series that I'm putting together for the makings of Michael Jackson Thriller, and obviously, you know a lot about Michael Jackson. What was your earliest memories of Michael as a child? Uh, the first album my mother ever bought me was a Motown retrospective greatest hits album of Michael Jackson in 1980. So that's the first album I ever owned. Um, I think along with Cool and the Gang Celebrate. Okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, that my first memory of owning popular music is Michael Jackson. And I knew of those songs, Inside and Out, Rock and Robin, Gotta Be There, all that Motown stuff. And, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I'm a child of the 80s. So there was no life outside of thinking about Michael Jackson, especially when Thriller hit. So 1982, 1983, I mean, I was just, it was, he, was, he was everything that I aspired to be. It's, I think it's sort of hard now for a lot of people, especially young people, to kind of understand what he represented, especially to young black men yeah. back then. I mean, he was, he was like, he was perfection. He was like divinity. And so for me, I just was, I admired everything that he did. I wanted to dress like him. I had the, you know, one glove. I had the socks. Uh, I grew up in Canada, so, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was only dreaming. You know. I was dreaming from afar. <laughs> you know, you know. That's, that's awesome. And so 
Uh, I want to get some perspective on Thriller and the the beginning stages of of the making of the album. You know, where was he in his life, do you think, around 1979, post Off the Wall? Well, you know, he did Off the Wall with Quincy Jones. That was his debut solo album as an adult. It obviously was a real game changer. It's, I think, even today considered the greatest pop soul album of its time, or maybe in history, actually. Um, because, you know, there's some there are some artists who are kind of trailblazers in the sense that the work that they do and that they introduce into popular culture changes the game to such an extent that everybody who follows them is just copying them, basically. Right. And so you think about somebody like Charlie Parker and Bebop and, like, everybody else was doing what Charlie Parker did um, or Miles Davis and so on. And Michael, you know, even today, we've got the Justin Timberlakes and the Chris Browns and the Ushers and whoever else, and they're all sort of just doing the Michael Jackson playbook. Um, so that's how influential he was. And Off the Wall is, I think, seen as one of the most important albums of its time um, because of the way that it formatted this pop soul for, you know, uh, style. Um, but Michael wasn't happy with it, even though it you know, was Grammy-nominated and even though um, you know, it was enormously successful, it was mostly successful, uh, at least from an awards perspective, on the R&B charts yeah. and, for, and in terms of you know, R&B impact. And he was looking for pop success. He completely internalized the whole Motown crossover aesthetic that Barry Gordy taught him you know, at age nine and 10 years old, which is to cross over. And you, it, it wasn't enough for a black artist to just have a black audience that you also had to have a non-black audience too. You had to you know, go beyond. And so that's what Michael wanted. And that's why he was unhappy with the success of Off the Wall. And he planned for his next album to be that crossover album that was going to garner him a much wider fan base, much more visibility outside of just the R&B charts. And so that's what Thriller was. I think it was born out of that moment of um, a, wanting to be better and bigger than he had already been, even though everybody else was probably looking at him and saying, hey, you're good, but he wanted more. It's hard for us to imagine now here in 2017 that you know, he was seen as a black artist making black music at that time, because we all grew up with Michael, of course, with you know, bad and thriller being the huge success that it was. It's hard to imagine that to classify an album as a black album at that time. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a pop album, but for you know, it was nominated, uh, you know, in the R and B categories, and uh, you know, he he wanted more, and he was with his brothers, right? And they had um, left Motown after a very acrimonious legal battle, and then you know they were on Epic Records, and you know, putting out records with Gamble and Huff and other producers. They had started to write and produce for themselves. And of course, Michael is writing and also co-producing uh, on Off the Wall. And so I think part of it is him trying to feel his freedom and trying to find a way to really secure his own artistic and financial freedom. He also you know, hires uh, you know, a lawyer and basically works out a deal where he's going to get a major, major um, portion of the royalties from his next record, which would be Thriller. Was he working um, with John Bronco at the yeah. time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's okay. the, he was very young. John was really young at the time, and so he hired him and you know, really changed the direction of his career in a lot of ways. Um, but he was still on the road with his brothers. He was making records with his brothers and uh, working on this solo project and you know, continuing to work with Quincy. He did a song for the E.T. soundtrack, um, and he was out at Westlake Studios and you know, putting together the blueprint for um, what would become Thriller. When was the Victory Tour? The Victory Tour was Victory after... Victory Tour was after Thriller. Yeah. was after Thriller. Mm -hmm. Thriller okay. was made in 82 into 83. Um, so it was done in a pretty short amount of time. Michael Jackson always made uh, the demos, 
well, we call them demos, but for him, they were like finished records. Yeah. I mean, uh, he made the demos at his, um, at his estate in uh, Havenhurst. finish them in at Westlake Studios with Quincy Jones and Bruce Sudian. Though though uh, Off the Wall was a huge success. That was in 1979. Thriller was released in uh, 82. Mm-hmm. Um, was there immense pressure that you think that Michael was feeling at that time? Like what what do you think where Michael was in his life as far as was there pressure to make this album? Uh, I think with Michael there's always pressure to make a good album, but you have to also remember in 1982 the industry was in a huge financial slump. Um, disco was basically over, well, definitely over, is over uh, at the end of 79 into 1980. And so, you know, there wasn't as much attention on black artists making R&B music at that time, um, although it was still a big genre, but it wasn't, um, it, had, it had suffered some diminishment. And so Michael was, um, people weren't really betting on him, and nobody thought he would make an album like Thriller. Um, nobody thought he could make that game-changing crossover record, except him. And I think Quincy as well. I think it's hard to recognize greatness in the moment. If I'm not mistaken, back in uh, 82, the first single release was The Girl Is Mine. Um, he received a lot of criticism um, for that song. Um, like, what is your take on that? Like, well, you have to remember, Thriller was designed as an all-markets album. So the whole point of Thriller was that in order to cross over, you would have a different song on the album for a different demographic. Each song in the album was designed for a different demographic. So... The Girl Is Mine is him and Paul McCartney in a duet, and it's, it's, you know, he also previously duetted with Paul McCartney on Off the Wall and Girlfriend, so similar title and everything. But that Girl Is Mine is really like a soft rock track designed for a soft rock kind of audience. And then you've got um, The Lady In My Life, which is for a quiet storm audience. There's like clearly more up-tempo funk tracks. Um, You know, there's a, you know, Beat It, which was the rock track. He designed each song to have a specific direction in terms of genre. And so Girl Is Mine was not the strongest song on Thriller, but it's, it's nice, it's, it's light, it's cute. And uh, you know, it was also designed, I think, probably to demonstrate the direction of the album you know, by being a kind of interracial duet song. You know, it, right. it announced very clearly, like, this is where I'm at and this is where I'm going. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's definitely Michael's attempt at the time to really stand out that I'm not an R&B artist. Like, not just an just R&B. Just an R&B artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was also something with almost every track on the record. I think I hear a lot of things with, like, I want to be starting something, selling something that would have been on Off the Wall as far as, like, content-wise and feeling of movement. Um, well, he, this, Off the Wall provided the template. They figured out exactly what the template was. And so Thriller kind of followed the template of Off the Wall. So... Um, working day and night on Off the Wall is just this like funk blockbuster that just opens the record and it's incredible polyrhythmic rhythm track. And Want to Be Starting Something was designed to be the same type of record to start off the record with this big blast of like funk, you know, power. Uh, my favorite song of all time is Human Nature. Is it okay? You know what? What is your what are your take on Human Nature? Human the- Nature is incredible. I mean, you know, it's it was Quincy. 
you know, was great at A&R, right? So Quincy Jones, producer, I mean, he was able to find really good songs. And that was one of those songs that came to him as a demo written by the guys from Toto, who were huge at the time. Um, and, you know, Toto's music is itself a kind of fusion of pop, rock, and soul. And human nature is just, I mean, if you've heard the demo, it's just, it's, it's similar to what Michael did. And it has this really interesting sort of um, groove to it with that kind of descending um, uh, synth part. And uh, the lyric doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it has this kind of empathetic, um, impressionistic quality to it. And so Quincy heard that and said, "That's that's a song for Michael," and and they recorded it, and it's one of the, it's one of his most beautiful um, tracks. I mean, the, his vocal performance on it is amazing. Thriller has so many bangers. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, it's an album that was designed to have no beat. There's no there's no beat tracks. Like most albums, it's like okay, I'll have some filler, and then I'll put a couple of hits in there, um, and then you know the label wants some hits, so make sure we have those. But the rest of the album is just going to be like album cuts. There's no album cuts in Thriller. So everything is incredible. Everything is super, super well-defined and super thoughtful. So outro, it's like people aren't even really thinking about that. It's really just those, it's those main tracks that come to mind, Want to Be Starting Something and Lady in My Life and Thriller and Beat It and Billie Jean. I mean, Billie Jean, you know, there was, there was more than enough to work with on that record. For, that, that's very true. That's, that's definitely an understatement. With, with every great artist that comes along, whether it's, if we want to put this artist in that category, Justin Bieber was Twitter. With Elvis, it was television. But just as important as the music, I don't think you have that album without the videos, the success of the album. There was a cultural aspect that Michael was going against at the time in 1982, as far as being bigger than just a black artist or making just black music. But what impact did he have on culture as far as the video? Well, I mean, you know, Thriller is... is a record that couldn't have, couldn't have had the success that it had outside of its visual um, component. And today, in retrospect, we probably call it a visual album, although it wasn't really called that then. And Michael didn't like the word music videos. He only liked the word short films. He wanted his, his uh, videos to be called short films and thought of that way. Um, but you know, he, he, he was amazingly prescient and ahead of his time because he really saw his legacy uh, being as much musical as it was visual. And, you know, he just happened to put this album out at the very same time that MTV was really coming into its power in the early 1980s as a cultural institution and a cultural force. Only problem, it was an elitist cultural institution at the time. Um, they didn't play um, black music videos for the most part. And Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And um, Michael was a victim of that. Um, they just wouldn't play his videos because basically MTV thought of themselves as a, um, a, a station that was um, focused on a demographic that was young white males who were into rock music. That's it. Um, and it wasn't until Michael's record label put the pressure on MTV, said, we'll pull all of our other artists until you play Michael Jackson, that things changed. And, and Michael can be credited with breaking the color line in MTV um, and actually 
um, opening up space for black artists' uh, music to be played. It's also a big stance for the label to take with a budding network like MTV at the time. It was huge, but they also saw the potential in what hey, it's Michael Jackson. Michael and <laughs> I mean, really, he's a you know show-stopping triple threat auteur. Like we've never seen anything like that since. And you know, even at the time, I mean, he was you know with that album under their belt, that's, he was incredibly promising. So they really and you know the the label also had other black artists to push as well, and other labels had black artists to push. So um, there was there was um, there was a reason to do it. I'm a big fan of timing. Timing plays a lot in everything. I think Thriller was perfection on this side of things that Michael could control, and there were some things that Michael could not control. Um, but it was just a perfect storm. Yeah. I think with the element of a new medium, uh, of the, the music video, perfect album with a diverse range of hits. Some people find it schlocky compared to Off the Wall. I mean, that's the, that's the critique of thrill, uh, Thriller compared to Off the Wall. When I think of Michael's best work, I think of Off the Wall. But when I think of Michael's most impactful work, and that's a very, that's a very big difference. I think music isn't just about just the, the sonic aspect of it. It also pushes culture in a way of sure. it forces the conversation. You know, where Michael Jackson was in everyone's living room and white kids were dressing like him. Yeah. Well, Thriller, you know, what Thriller did to the music industry was what Jaws and Star Wars did to Hollywood film. They, you know, Jaws was the first summer blockbuster they it created the notion of the blockbuster in film and so every summer we're like what's the blockbuster but that came out of jaws in 1975 and then star wars and every summer you'd have these blockbusters and with thriller it was it was a blockbuster album um it changed the game um for the labels financially michael jackson arguably saved the music industry from its doldrums in the early 1980s and you know it became the top selling album of all time in the history of recorded music and you know, that's a feat that is, it's just, it's inconceivable now because we don't live at a time where we have anything even close to a kind of mono share, monoculture or kind of shared culture. Not that we had one then either, but certainly um, there weren't as many outlets to listen to music. Right. Um, there weren't as many albums being put out per year. We weren't as kind of or, oriented towards our different niches and in our own filter, filter bubbles as we are now. And so... Michael, what Michael Jackson did was sort of galvanize the industry and bring together and aggregate a lot of different people around his music in a way that I don't think can actually happen now for a pop artist. I don't think anybody can generate that kind of aggregation. No, just the way that media is done today. Uh, and I went to school for mass communications, journalism. So they talk about that same topic of, you know, when you, 1962, your grandmother and grandchild watched the same program. Um, and you think about, like, the Jackson 5, my mother, my grandmother, both, you know, listen to the same cross-generational. When, when you get to MTV, that was kind of the like cable television was kind of the beginnings of segmented entertainment. And I think it's going to be impossible. As time has progressed, it's gotten a little more segmented. Uh, one more thing more. I, wanted to, I wanted to touch on, too, that it goes into the trifecta of the perfect storm that became Thriller. The component of amazing music, the component of uh, amazing visuals, but there was also a signature performance. The Motown 25. And I think that's the kind of the perfect storm where the, the Moonwalk debut was just as big and impactful to me as Thriller. Uh, and in some ways, even kind of more defining with the signature Moonwalk. Can you go in a little bit more in detail about the impact of that Motown 25 performance? Sure. I mean, I remember watching TV live and just being enthralled by seeing Michael and his brothers perform. And they were the epitome of slickness and cool and 
hearing all those songs um, done in that medley from the Jackson Five and the Jacksons. And then the brothers leave the stage, and then there's just Michael talking about you know the way that he wants to focus on the new music. Thank you. Oh, you're beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, those, I have to say, those were the good old days. I love those songs. Uh, those were magic moments with all my brothers, including Jermaine. But, uh, you know, th those were good songs. I, I like those songs a lot, but especially I like the new songs. Um, that was a revolutionary moment in pop culture. It was one of those moments where you, you were watching and you were, you were aware that history was being made because the, the quality of the performance was like nothing we'd ever seen before. It's an amalgam of Jackie Wilson and James Brown and Sammy Davis Jr. and you know Gregory Hines and whoever else you want to name um, just kind of rolled into one body. And um, he was so slick and so... Um, you know, just the kind of... The, it, we don't even have words in the English language, I think, really to describe um, the kind of power, sensual power of that performance. And I remember wanting... You know, I tried to moonwalk like he did, and there were breakdancing classes that they offered in Canada at the time. You could buy these, like, books with the photos right at the end of the page, and so you could flip through all the pages and see him sort of moonwalking. I mean, it was just a part of our whole lexicon. But what was great about it was that Michael he had created his own movement vocabulary, right? So, no, you know, no one danced exactly the way that he did until he did. Like, he took little bits and elements of Jeffrey Daniels' Moonwalk, Jeffrey Daniel from Shalimar. Shalimar. Um, you know, who'd worked with him on his dancing. Yeah, he, he taught him. I think there was a story where he said he taught him in Encino. Yeah. Uh, at Havenhurst. Yeah, absolutely. But you also have to remember, you know, Michael is a, was very much an L.A. figure living in Encino, and so he... He, and he'd been in L.A. since he was, you know, on Motown at 10 years old. And Michael saw pop, you know, poppers and lockers, and he saw, like, the original folks and rerun, and, like, you know, he was around that a lot. And so he, he's a sponge, and he picked up a lot of influences. So it's also Sammy, you know, this is a kid who, you know, did the whole, like, northeast circuit of, like, R&B amateur nights, you know, when he was seven, eight, nine years old before he got signed to Motown. And he, he sat in the wings, you know, on his stomach, like, watching the greats perform, looking at James Brown's feet and Jackie Wilson. So that's what you see in that Motown performance. It's, it's a synthesis of all of that information that he's picked up, but then... In, you know, embodied, and it comes out in this really fascinating and interesting way that we haven't really seen before. We never saw anybody move like that on the Motown uh, uh, anniversary special. We never saw anybody move exactly like that. And then since, everybody's copied what he's done. <laughs> no, it, it literally is a template for yeah. um, specifically male pop music. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah. The success of Thriller, what impact did it have on him directly after the release of Thriller and beyond? Well, one of the things that's amazing about Thriller is that he never toured the Thriller album, which is shocking at this point. Um, he had so much loyalty to his family and to his brothers because he came from a very religious family and also a very tight-knit family that he went on tour for he and his brother's Victory album in 1984, which is a very controversial tour because of the ticket pricing and working with Don King and so on. 
Um, so it's kind of amazing to think of the fact that he didn't actually tour it. Uh, Michael was primarily concerned with Thriller with getting in the Guinness Book of World Records. That was way more important to him than a Grammy or an American Music Award or a Soul Train Music Award. He wanted to be in the Guinness Book of World Records, which he ended up being, and that was like a big thing for him. Um, I think in some ways it was kind of the beginning of something of an end for him because he was only then concerned about topping what he'd already done. And it's hard to top being the best ever. <laughs> so you're only fighting with yourself at that point. Um, and so his subsequent records, Bad and Dangerous and History Album and others, um, you know, while they're all fantastic and I could sit here and talk about all of them individually and praise so many aspects of them, um, they weren't thriller and they weren't off the wall. Um, and they certainly didn't um, reach the levels of commercial success that those previous albums had. And that's not to disparage them at all. They were enormously successful, but they just didn't reach what Thriller had. And so, um, you know, I think that that's a very powerful energy to um, to kind of imprison yourself with, the idea that I have to be bigger and better than the biggest album of all time that I myself created. But Michael done, did way better than most because he, you know, each of those albums was an event. He, so what Michael invented with Thriller was event pop. Right, the idea. I mean, there was there were examples before, whether it's the Sgt. Pepper's and the Beatles, or whether Saturday Night Fever. But he, it's event. This this was an album as a blockbuster, an album as an event. It was a cultural event, and every album after had to also be a major cultural event, the kind that you would you know gather with the friends and family on TV to watch the you know release of it, or you know I remember doing that for. Um, the video for Bad when that came on in 87 or Remember the Time, the release of that. I mean, you can mark where you are, you know, historically and temporally by where you were when you were watching those Michael Jackson <laughs> videos and, and uh, buying the new albums. So, um, you know, I think that's something that's kind of important. Like, he wanted his albums to be major, major blockbuster events. And um, that's, that's tough, right? Because... You know, it's always sort of battling with the artistic integrity of a record, and it's also hard to manufacture global events on that level. Right. And so I want to end with, um, you know, in a nutshell, what is the impact of the album? You know, what is the impact of Thriller, and how is the world a different place because of that album? Well, let's face it. It's the number one album of all time by a solo artist. Um, it made more money than almost any other album in the history of albums. Um, it... Uh, is an important album, I think, artistically. I think it's considered schlocky by some because of the title track, uh, which is like you know designed to be a kind of campy horror um, uh, uh, kind of homage. Um, but I think it's a really beautifully manicured record with such attention to obsessive detail, um, and it's also a kind of daffy album. It's kind of it's kind of strange, like want to be starting something with the Manu de Bongo, you know, um, kind of interpolation from Soul Makosa, which Michael mm. had heard when he was in discos in Studio 54 in 1977, when that song, which is of Cameroonian descent, was, you know, became a breakdancer's anthem. So there's all kinds of interesting aspects of it, um, musically and sonically, that I think are worth thinking about and discussing. Um, but it really opened up the, the door, even beyond what Off the Wall did for this kind of pop soul um, fusion of styles that then went on to inspire people like Chris Brown and Usher, and, or Usher and Chris Brown and Justin Timberlake and 
everybody else you can name who, and including his sister, uh, you know, Madonna, just on and on and on and on. Right. Beyonce, we would not have a Beyonce today unless we had Michael Jackson, Thriller, Lemonade as an album. Um, although it aims for different kind of artistic ends, it is an album that is directly in the lineage of Thriller um, and the kind of visual impact, visual sonic impact that Thriller was trying to make at the time. So the entire history of popular music post 1982, 83 is Michael Jackson. <laughs> I mean, he, he creates um, the opportunity for so many other artists to do what they do. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Corey. I appreciate you know, it. You're the man. All right. Glad to be here. My man. Thank you so much to the Silent Giants behind this episode of the Silent Giants podcast. This episode has been mixed by Mark Bird of MBM Studios, located in Astoria, Queens, NYC's number one recording studio for music, podcasting, and other audio recordings. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at MBM Studios NYC. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off till next time. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.